Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Never give up hope. Never ever give up hope is a show about people who have done just that. They never gave up no matter what the circumstances were. They persevered. Many of my guests have survived incredible circumstances. In fact, most of them have. And as a, as a result, what I have seen, the pattern is these people have an incredible passion to help others people who may be going through something similar or even if it's not similar but still that they can relate to. Many of my guests have survived extreme poverty or abuse whether it's marital or physical or childhood but different forms of abuse and some of them have had to overcome serious depression or disease but each guest has had to learn how to fight to survive. And this show gives them that opportunity. They share their stories, they give us tips, they give us encouragement, and they all give back. They offer something to help you. We're now heard in over 140 countries, and we still maintain the number one rank on Google searches on the subject of hope. That shows me that that's a subject that is needed all over this globe. People are looking for hope. So I thank you, I thank my guests, of course, and I also thank my listeners, because without you guys, we wouldn't have a show. And today, I have somebody with me whose first name is Hope, and I'm, <laughs> that's so exciting. So hi, Hope. Hello, Carol. How are you? I'm great. I'm so excited to finally get to um, do this interview with you. Now, Hope Mueller is an author of Hopey. And I'm assuming, was that your childhood name? That's right. Okay. And the name of the book is Hopi, From Commune to Corner Office. An inspiration, she's an inspirational speaker. She's an executive. She's an active not-for-profit volunteer. She's a results-driven leader and change agent. And she'll explain what that is, I'm sure. <laughs> Hope is, a pa is passionate about her career development, community service, and many other things. And that passion will definitely show through as she's sharing with us today. Now, her early years were marked by an experience on a hippie commune. And I don't think I've ever interviewed anybody with that background. I have with somebody from the Mooney community, and that might be okay. something similar. I'm not sure. I Hope's unique childhood shaped her approach and interaction with the world, as all our childhood traumas do. She 
has a gift of creating order out of chaos. I love that. Order out of chaos. And so many people struggle with that. And also turning vision into reality. So there's much there that she's going to change with us today. I'm excited. Welcome, Hope. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Well, let's begin with your childhood. And in reading your story, it was very clear that no matter how rough your childhood was, you seemed to soar above it and became successful, as many of my guests. And so I really sincerely appreciate that. That tells me a lot about you before we even talk to you. So can you share a little bit about what your childhood was like? Well, um, it was a hippie commune, which uh, was full of drugs and sex and violence, um, periods of homelessness, periods of hunger. And when I say commune, it always elicits in folks' minds this, you know, some remote island or some remote mountaintop in Oregon or something. And it wasn't that. It was, you know, in a small community, small college town community. And it was, you know, close to the center of town. Um, But it was a commune in so much that, you know, we didn't have our individual possessions as children or adults. Um, We didn't have our own bedrooms, our own dressers, our own clothes. Um, it was variable people or adults would be watching the kids um, at various times. And then the kids, you know, were fluid through the home too. Um, the, you know, it was really marked by pretty heavy drug use. So when I say hippie commune, that's what I think of, right? It's, it's Janis Joplin. It's, you know, um, uh-huh. that period of time, right? right. Early seventies. And, um, you know, I'd say the only, it wasn't a religious experience. They didn't have a belief system unless you believe in the marijuana plant, maybe. Okay. (laughs) So, you know, there was, um, they had a ball of acid in the freezer. Um, and you know, uh, they swapped, uh, sex partners and there were orgies on the living room floor, which, uh, us as kids, Kids got to experience and got to watch occasionally, um, and that was some of our uh, some of the highlights, at least. Now, how did that affect you as a child? Because this was your normal, right? I mean, on the one hand, I think you know you asked I, one of the biggest challenges. So we lived there until I was about six, in that sort of really fluid um, environment. We um, we were moving all the time. Um, we, we weren't, we were hungry. We had periods of hunger. Um, so my mom, you know, knew how to make daylilies. We'd pick daylilies in the park across the street and she would, you know, uh, dredge them with flour and uh, fry them up. And that was dinner occasionally. And one of the biggest real challenges you sort of alluded to it was my mom then went and got married to her third husband um, and he was a tenured physics professor. And uh, all of a sudden we went from this really amorphous, shapeless childhood to a very strict childhood. And we were, you had to, you know, eat at a certain time. We had to set the table a certain way. We all had to, um, and he was a violent alcoholic. Took the majority of his anger and frustration out on my mom. Um, but, you know, the kids kids occasionally got in the way. Um, and so honestly, when I think about those, that stark transition from, 
you know, wide open chaos to fluid reality to um, this, you know, really uh, strict and violent experience. I really feel like it was some of that dichotomy that shaped my childhood in terms of I really gravitated towards, um, you know, you know, a really domineering, violent environment. And I, I actually became very comfortable in that space because I think some of those other more basic needs were being met, right? We were, we were in a, um, you know, a financially more stable situation. We didn't move as frequently. We, you know, food was, was consistent. And so because some of those more basic human needs of food and shelter were being met, um, the emotional needs, like I got, I got very comfortable with that. And so my, you know, how did it shape my childhood? I'd say those two things, I probably learned it at um, the commune and then really perfected it um, with my mom's third marriage was this, you know, sort of blocking technique. I really um, ignored a lot of what was going on around me um, and, you know, would kind of you know, pay minimal attention and just move forward. Just this, you know, sort of this really simple technique of, I am not going to delve into whatever that is too much. And I'm going to try and head in a, head in a new direction. I tell a story in the book where at the commune, one of the men uh, hung himself and the kids weren't supposed to see, but we ended up seeing. And as we were walking down the street, we were being ushered away. A lot of the older kids were looking back and wanting to, you know, to see the form um, in the tree. And I did not, like, I never looked back. I was just going to march forward and I didn't I wasn't so I you know I am very curious uh, I'm intellectually curious as an adult but certainly emotionally curious and just blocking a lot of some of the most painful pieces out that was one of your survival techniques obviously yep. and I believe it's in listening to various stories along the same lines as that is quite often the case Yep. Have you discovered that like later in life that people with this type of childhood, I mean, well, you have brothers and sisters too, mm-hmm. don't you? So did mm-hmm. they, did they do the similar technique of just focusing? And Yeah, to- no, I mean, I, um, we have a whole range of, um, you know, uh, coping mechanisms that we, you know, executed. And we, we probably have our own range of uh, psychological behaviors that we display now because of those things, I suppose. Interesting. Um, you know, but we um, certainly, I, I also, at least I've read a lot about birth order. And so I also, I am the youngest and, um, I, you know, there's some, that's a, it's a fairly common approach to the youngest is to, you know, sort of block things out and use that as a coping mechanism. I think every child, you know, has their own opportunity to try and manage however best they can. And then as they become adults, hopefully they have a few really great opportunities or great people and great helpers and along the way to, you know, sort of help you grow um, into a successful, you know, functioning adult, if you will. Yes, I understand that, and I th- and with hindsight, mm. you may agree or not. But what I'm finding with many people who have gone through this type of trauma in, in at a young age is that their focus becomes 
the opposite of what they want to accomplish because of what they went through. From what I understand, they were much more focused, much more determined. Did you find that that was what pole vaulted you in that direction as well? Absolutely. So, you know, I moved out when I was 15 um, and throughout the majority of my childhood and most of my adulthood, my mom um, was a both an addict and an alcoholic, depending on where she was at in her journey. You know, that is absolutely real of just being laser, laser focused on getting out and doing whatever it took uh, to create a better life for myself. And that started by moving out when I was 15 um, because I figured there would be some measure of uh, an ability to even create some more stability for myself. Now, having said that, I was young and I went through all of the, and, and, and a lot of what the second book is about is I recreated a lot of the um, similar challenges and environments that I went through as a child. It, you know, I essentially married some, my first marriage was someone who is very similar to my mom's third husband. But I will say, absolutely, it was this focus and persistence to create a little life for myself and create a life for my children that looked very different than what I had experienced. Absolute motivator. Was there a point when you said enough and you wanted to change direction? Did that ever happen to you, whether as a child or later? Yeah. So as a child, I mean, I was just really moving forward as as fast and as laser focused as I could. And it didn't matter when I hit pretty massive speed bumps along the way. I very rarely even considered options that that would mark me or that would get me off of my path. And one of my examples is I got pregnant with my first child when I was a sophomore in college. And I took one semester off and then went back, you know, the semester she was actually bored. I went back and one of my friends says like, oh, you're, you're going back to school. And I said, yeah, of course. And he thought, he said, well, I didn't think you would finish. And not until he said those words, did I even consider not finishing school. It had never even dawned on me to not go back. So, you know, you just get really focused. And then certainly as an adult, and this, this is the primary story in the second book of, you know, being married and, uh, you know, I went through my own bout of addiction early on and then being married to an abusive addict, there was absolutely a point where I said no more. And that is what the second story is about. The second story is about clawing back my own self and my identity um, as an adult, as a human being, as a woman. Um, and that's that's a lot of what the second story is about. Do you recommend reading them as a sequel? Yeah, they definitely, you can read them either individually. The second book isn't finished or um, it's going to be launched in May 2020. Um, so, you know, we're getting all of the final touches in and getting it to the publisher soon. The first book has a couple of elements. It is from from my young childhood to when I take my entrance exams to college. But it does, I have another device in there that I call a flash forward. And I don't know if that's the real name for it, but that's what I made up the word for it. It's little glimpses of my life today. 
So although there's, you know, some tumultuous childhood and different things that are happening, um, there's these little glimpses of my life today showing you how great it can be. And you can get wherever you want to go, no matter where you're at, where you started, maybe anything that's happened to you. It doesn't, none of that can't, it has to define who you are and where you end up. And that's the crux of the first book. And the second one? And the second one tells a lot of the same story. I would say this, I think the second one, has, it's a much more targeted towards making sure that if you, if you know, being comfortable and confident and knowing that you deserve love and appreciation, period, right? So the first one is really more feels for, at least for me, <laughs> it's weird because I'm the author, but it feels like, hey, no matter where you start, you can go out and do whatever you want. And there's certainly that foundation in the second book, but it's also recognizing that you as an individual, as a human being, you deserve love and appreciation for exactly who you are and being really comfortable with that knowledge. And, you know, that's the, that's the underlying theme and message that that's coming out in that I appreciate that very much. You can be loved and appreciated for exactly who you are. My question is, don't many people try to change who they are in order to feel that they can be loved and appreciated? You're coming from it from the back door, correct? Yep. And that's absolutely true. I think that's exactly the process, especially the process that I was going through um, with with my first marriage and the abuse that was happening. It's what do I need to change? How can I do better? Right, if I, right. I could just if I could just get this right, then he wouldn't be mad. If I could just do this right, you know, there wouldn't be a fight. And that's just false, right? So at that what is, point that is did only... you realize that? As well, an adult? Or... Yeah, yeah. So in the, oh yeah, this was as an adult. This was, I mean, I don't know. I, I think these lessons are learned over and over again in your life, right? And there's points in your life where you tell yourself that, but then you get an opportunity because life keeps happening to relearn that same right. lesson. Right. Um, but certainly the most, you know, the critical pieces of that were, you know, we had a, a really violent near-death exchange um, as an adult. And that was, you know, that was my final straw. Um, but there was a series of a thousand straws that took that, you know, I was making that decision and clawing back myself and I didn't, you know, identifying myself and being comfortable and confident in myself over you know, over a couple of years, um, you know, it's not just a one day thing that happens. It's little steps to, you know, understand who you are and understand that that's who you, you know, you deserve to be loved and appreciated for exactly who you are. Your memoir is written as a novel, correct? It is written as what we call an inspirational memoir. Um, so it is, you know, I've changed sometimes. Um, I've compressed times a few times. I've certainly changed the names. Um, and there was a one event in the first book where I combined two events and told it as one story. Um, but it is falls under the category, the literary category of memoir. It's 
from what I have read and also looking at the comments that other people have made, it not only is a page turner, but you can't put it down. <laughs> your, your writing technique is incredible. It's Believe me, anybody listening, this is an enjoyable book if you want to use mm-hmm. that term loosely, just mm-hmm. you know, because <laughs> because of the story content, but mm-hmm. also inspirational because it makes you feel like this is what she went through. Look at what I went through. If she can do it, I can do it. And is that kind of like the underlying message as well? Absolutely. I think um I think one of the pieces that was so foundational, it doesn't, so yes, I had a really wild and tumultuous childhood, but even with that, my mom and the adults in my life believed in me. They told me I could do anything and they did love me unconditionally, um, addictions aside. And you can build on that. You can build on your own you know, a belief and foundation in yourself. And had I had I had that as a traumatic childhood experience where I wasn't told I could be anything, where I was belittled or made small, I'm not sure I would have made it out. But because I had that foundation of belief, all of the other trauma on top was something that I could persevere through. That's excellent. Before we talk about your memoir and some of the, and some of the other things I want to chat with you about, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now, like you have become quite successful. Just share a little bit about that. Okay. Um, so right now um, I'm a, a successful executive in the pharmaceutical industry. You know, I lead teams. I've been leading um, different organizations for over 18 years, taking um, roles of increasing responsibility. To touch on some of the points that you that you opened with, I launched a uh, scholarship fund last year. I um, initiated the process for um, beginning a charity, and I sit on on multiple non-for-profit boards um, and have been very active in the non-for-profit space for the last five to six years. And it is absolutely, you know, part of my identity of giving back and helping children and families in need. And you come from a place where you can relate to a great number of people. Absolutely. Now, there were three things when I was reading through your notes. There are three things that are necessary to be successful that you share. I'll just say them, and then if you could discuss them, that would be awesome. One is focus, and I love this. Focus on the solution instead of the problem. That's my middle name. And when you've gone through a lot such as you have, such as I have, we could easily focus on the problem. We have to choose to focus on the solution. So I appreciate that you saying that. The second is to be comfortable with change. And that that is, well, that's a whole huge subject all by itself. And the mm-hmm. third, another favorite, <laughs> pers- <laughs> persistence, persistence, persistence. That's the whole thing about not giving up and being laser focused. Share those three things with us. Yeah, so it's funny. There's times when I'm sitting, you know, in a boardroom and we're talking about these, you know, a big, big opportunity or big, big decisions, right? You know, hundreds of millions of dollar decisions. And I'm not the primary decision maker, certainly, but I definitely have an input and I have a voice. Um, And I look around the room and I think, oh, my God, how did I get here? (laughs) What is happening right now? And when I go back and I reflected, I 
you know, what did I learn and what three techniques could anyone deploy, you know, to ensure some measure of success? And it is those three areas. I have found that, especially in my workspace and my home space, right, being focused on solutions instead of focusing on problems allows you to move forward and, you know, create the solution or the environment or the life that you want or create the career that you want. If you are constantly focused on, well, I don't have this, my boss doesn't let me do this, and I can't get this done because of X, Y, Z, you know, I would challenge those thoughts and say, where can you find the solutions? How can you move forward? If you can't get it through this person, how about, you know, what relationships can you go and build that will help you get the answers or the, you know, the effort that you need behind that? So that's really focusing on solutions um, and moving away from sort of a place of being a victim of the circumstances around you. Comfort would change. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. It doesn't matter where you work, right? Change is happening and more change is coming. And maybe it's as I get older, but change seems to be coming faster and faster and faster all the time. And being really comfortable with that and saying, okay, instead of being afraid and making decisions out of fear or letting your fear, you know, limit your vision, you can say, this change is happening. Try and set aside an emotional response. What can I do? How can I be part of the solution? How can I influence the new reality? How can I influence the new environment? And, um, and actually being, again, leans into part of the solution. But I am sure my ability to be comfortable with change is directly related to my early years on a commune. It was complete chaos. Nothing was solid. So, hey, this just seems really familiar. <laughs> Having said that, that's where the creating order out of chaos comes in, right? So I wasn't a super creative chaotic environment and now I've been a super orderly environment and I create that for myself and it doesn't matter how what situation I'm put in that is that is a repeated process chaos order chaos create order and that is done through that persistence um, you know focus be clear on what you want to go after and then just drive like mad for it and more and bumps will be there, right? Stuff is going to happen. You're going to get pregnant or maybe not, or you'll have a, you know, the stuff will continue to happen and, you know, sort of put some barriers in your place, but either find the workaround or drive right through it. But if you wake up every day and persist, 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 you will look back in five years, you will look back in 10 years and go, oh my God, look at the things I got done. Look at where I'm at today. And could life even be as good as it is? How amazing. One thing that you said that I really like you just mentioned is find the workaround or drive yep. right through it. Yep. That is excellent. That kind of summarizes mm -hmm. any problems that we may have. In other words, 
that covers focusing, that covers and being comfortable with change, and also persisting and staying focused. So I really thank you for that. Now, regarding anything in summary that you want to share about your memoir, your next book, maybe give us a little tip. Your your memoir is so intriguing. I mean, I want you to share a little more about that. Why should somebody buy your book? Is it a is it a Saturday night read or it, you know how is it going to change their lives? Give us give us something. Sell us your book. Okay, so it's funny. A lot of people ask me, well, why did you write the book? And over time, I don't know why I wrote the book. It just I wrote it. But I will say, I have had so many readers reach out to me and just say five simple words or even four simple words, and it. Thank you for writing this book, right? Thank you for this book, right? And it's so powerful. And it, every time I get this email message or, you know, or a lot of people, especially women have said, thank you for sharing your story. So I want everyone to know it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've experienced. It doesn't matter where you are at today. You can go out and be amazing. You are amazing. Your life can look exactly the way you want it to. And I want to share my story with you and know that you can have the same things. You can go and do and be amazing. And never, ever give up. That's right. Well, thank you so much, Hope. That was inspiring, challenging. intriguing inspirational I mean I really appreciate everything I mean you said a lot in a short period of time and your book is available on Amazon and Mm -hmm. also it will be available on the show notes on after this show I so appreciate it are you still called Hopi no, my mom, my mom still calls me Hopi okay. occasionally, <laughs> but, and you can reach out to me at hope at hopi.net. I, if you email me, I'll email you back. Um, and Wonderful. you know, if you want to talk about your, your experiences or you want to talk about your life, you just want to share. Um, I have, it's been the most rewarding part of the whole process is connecting with readers um, and knowing that. You know, I've been able to inspire or uh, connect with, you know, amazing people around the world. Thank you. And you're very encouraging. And we all need those words of encouragement. So I thank you so much, Hope. All right. Thank you, Carol. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.